Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak, Lord, that you would speak this morning through your word. Lord, we thank you that the truths in your word are unchanged from the dawn of time, Father, and we pray that even this morning you would use them, Lord, to grow us and to shape us uh, to be better servants for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, good morning again. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon. My headset mic is not working, so sometimes I like to wander. So if I wander and I start to get quieter and quieter, bear with me. It takes me a couple seconds to clue in sometimes. I'll roam back to the pulpit eventually. We're going to complete the letter to Philemon this morning. Uh, we've, the last couple times I've had the privilege to be up here, we've, we've started through and we got last time, I believe, to, to verse 19 of Paul's letter to Philemon. So we're going we're gonna to finish out this morning. I will say that much of the end of the book is simply recapturing what Paul is trying to communicate to Philemon. But uh, some things that we need to know in order to continue on. Of course, we know likely at the top, top of your page there it says Paul's letter to Philemon. So we know that Paul wrote the book to Philemon, uh, but not just to Philemon. In verse 1 there he talks about uh, writing it to the rest of the church that met at Philemon's home. Um, we know that Philemon was a wealthy man, and therefore there's another character in the, in the letter, and that's Onesimus, who was a slave of Philemon. And so that is what, this is sort of the, uh, the instance or the situation that Paul is addressing when he, when he writes his letter. Uh, but it's important to know that Paul wrote Philemon from, from prison in Rome. Uh, Philemon himself was led to Christ through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus years earlier. And now Philemon is in Colossae, uh, part of the Colossian church. And so this is really, this is where we have moved along. So Paul is the spiritual father, so to speak of Philemon. The letter, as we said, is addressed to the entire church. So this letter would not simply be given to Philemon as if you're sitting in your kitchen and, and Canada Post drives by and has a letter for you. This, this letter would have been written amongst an assembly of believers. Now we're not quite sure how big Philemon's home was, how many people he was able to, uh, to house as part of their church. But you can imagine if, if I brought a letter here this morning and it's addressed from Paul, the excitement uh, that would have stemmed from it, right? You're probably not quite as excited to receive a letter from Marty this morning, and I'm not claiming to be certainly on the same line as Paul. But if I, can't, if I brought a letter this morning from Paul, which I have, we'd be excited for it, right? Now, what's interesting as well, we talked about last time that Onesimus likely came along with the letter. Whether he delivered it or not, he was likely here. So you can picture Onesimus coming through the back door, walking up with this letter in his hand, and he delivers this letter uh, probably to Philemon or to one of the other church leaders there too. 
So as we get into the bulk of the letter, you can imagine the awkwardness that likely was there for Onesimus himself. Because Paul, we know, is pleading for Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who was his servant, who was his slave, to forgive him as Onesimus ran away, stole money from him, created havoc probably in Philemon's home, simply because of the responsibility that now is unable to be completed uh, when you're down a servant in the home. So Onesimus comes in and he delivers this letter. So this is, this is where we are at, okay? So you can imagine if, if everyone then knows, okay, this is Philemon's servant, who he was telling us left him however many years earlier, and now he comes through the door and says, this is Onesimus? This is the guy that we remember from however long ago that was? So this is what we have going on. And last time when we were in the bulk, the middle of the letter, Uh, Paul, as he's writing for his appeal to Philemon uh, for forgiveness for his now brother, remember Onesimus, when he had run away, had ran into Paul, and it probably didn't take too long if you ran into the Apostle Paul to realize that you had sin that needed to be dealt with, right? We can imagine that Paul Paul was likely pretty forthright in his um, conviction ability, maybe, for somebody to make them come to the awareness of their sin nature their sin problem so so Onesimus as a runaway slave has run into Paul and now he has been saved and Paul probably also in classic Paul fashion has now encouraged or greatly exhorted Onesimus to return to his master and seek forgiveness of not only his master but his now brother in Christ so this is where we are at Paul even says that he would forgive or sorry that he would repay the debt that Onesimus owed to Philemon. He'd, he'd write him an IOU, so to speak, say, I know that Onesimus here, our now brother in Christ, I know that he has taken money likely from you when he ran away to fund his runaway. I'm good for it. I've got that. I'll take care of whatever he owes you. And it was a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us, where you and I have a, a debt that we owe to Christ because of our sin that we are unable to pay. Just as Onesimus is likely unable to pay this monetary debt that he owes to Philemon. And Christ stands there and he says the exact same thing. I will pay whatever they owe. So that when you and I, if we know Christ this morning, uh, becoming aware of our sin, our need for him as a savior, that when we stand before God, Christ is standing there saying, the debt has been paid for Marty. The debt has been paid. Fill your name in the blank. For him, they are good to go, and the Father then accepts us, not on our own merit, but on the merit, the righteousness of Christ. So that is where we are. Uh, The letter has given us a blueprint, not only for us as believers, to how we are to, of course, interact with other believers, that if you offend me legitimately, how I am to then go on the process of forgiving you, but also how the one who is the offender, how they are to go through the process of seeking forgiveness from the one that they have offended. Uh, So we see not only a picture, of course, of Christ, but a picture then of what we are to do as his children as well. And one last thought of of what we've been through already. Remember that when Onesimus returns with this letter, uh, there is no extent of the law that Philemon could exercise because of what Philemon has done. He's a runaway slave. So, So Philemon could go as far as have Onesimus killed, and they wouldn't bat an eye. So Onesimus knows the risk that it is to come back and to return with this letter in hand from the Apostle Paul. I often wonder if Onesimus knew what was in that letter, what Paul had written. 
or if he simply was delivering the letter and then would be surprised as he's hearing that letter being read. Maybe we'll ask him someday in glory. But turn, you're all, you should be already in, in the book of Philemon. We're going to read again. You remember last time we read the entire letter because that's how it would have been read when Onesimus was delivering the letter. So we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read right through the whole thing. Paul writes this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do as required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's certainly been benefits of a possible forgiveness that have come to light. Now remember when Paul wrote, he began, he was telling uh, Philemon what he was like this is your character Philemon and now this has happened if you notice the first seven verses Paul doesn't even mention the name Onesimus does he he's simply telling reminding probably Philemon of the man of God that he is this is your character and then we'll move on this is the situation that we have so what's the the logical conclu conclusion forgiveness is going to be extended to Onesimus through Philemon and we certainly get that sense. There's no reason for us to think that Philemon does not forgive Onesimus and welcome him as a brother in Christ. But Paul's not been shy about reasons why it's good for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. So it's no surprise at all that at the end of this letter, uh, he continues to pound reasons for forgiveness to occur between these two brothers in Christ. But in reality, if, if Paul hasn't convinced Philemon up to this point, I don't know if he's going to. Because what we'll see in these last seven or eight verses or so this morning, he's simply going over more uh, of the basic argument that he'd been going through earlier in the letter. 
And hopefully throughout the few times we've been able to look at this letter, we've gained a greater appreciation of the good that forgiveness can accomplish amongst us as believers. And it doesn't, what we'll see this morning, it doesn't just include the two people that are directly involved. So, so if you have, if I've offended you this morning, uh, maybe not this morning, but in the past, and, and you have an offense, or I have an offense against you that I've committed, that doesn't just affect you and me, that affects the greater body of Christ here, doesn't it? And that's what Paul will, will focus on near the end of his letter. So in a sense, he's returning to the very similar thoughts that he opened the letter with, um, that we are concerned when we forgive or anything in our walk with Christ, we are concerned with uh, God and we are concerned with other believers. This is the purpose or this is the reason why you and I forgive. So what he's going to finish with, he's going to finish with motives. Motives why you and I would forgive someone or would consider forgiving someone. And, and anytime we do anything, we have motives, right? We have motives for everything that we do. Uh, if you're going to take a new job, Think of what some of those motives might be. Some of the motives might be for more pay, right? Might be for more vacation. Maybe you don't like the dress code at your work, so you want to get a new job. I don't know if that's a good motive or not, but it's your motive, so it's, you. it's up to you. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to have a better work environment that you are in. Maybe your work environment just isn't great, so your motive for searching for a new job is obtaining a better work environment. Maybe it's a literally a different climate environment. We get that this morning, right? Maybe, maybe you want to work somewhere warm. Anytime we see openings in Florida, it probably perks our interest, especially on a morning like this morning. So we have different motives for, for, for something big, like a job change. We have different motives for something small. You have different motives every time you go to Tim Hortons. You have different motives. Maybe, maybe you're going to Tim Hortons because you want a coffee. Simple, straightforward motive. Maybe this time you're going to Tim Hortons because you are wanting to win in roll-up. Okay, maybe that's your motive. Kelly and I find ourselves going to Tim Hortons probably 10 times more this time of year than we would any other time throughout the year because our motive is to try and win a donut or win another coffee. It's like a game, isn't it? Maybe, maybe your motive to going to Tim Hortons is to meet with a friend, right? And coffee is just sort of a, a side part of that. But anything that we do, even coming here this morning... You had motives for getting up this morning. You had motives for coming here specifically to Harrow Baptist and not to Tim Hortons, right? You have different motives, and these motives can be good motives. These motives can be bad motives. Of course, when Paul is arguing to Philemon, he's trying to explain to him that there are very pure and good motives for his forgiveness, not only of Onesimus, but forgiveness in general. Now, what we can't fall into the trap, and to be honest with you, any time... I come up and I, and I speak on a Sunday morning. I go home probably in the afternoon and I, you sort of replay over, you know, man, I could have said that a lot better, right? Or man, I, just, I hit that just perfect, didn't I? And you all are thinking, no, he didn't. <laughs> and so I'll sometimes go home and you think of things you wish you would have said or, or things you maybe could have left out that are, that are useless. But, um, you know, last time I was up and, and we looked at the middle of Philemon, what I wish I would have said was we are not, you and I are not looking for some sort of moral improvement just, to sit, just for the sake of being moral. Our goal is not to be more moral people, right? Our goal is to be more Christ-like. Our heart needs to change and therefore that will uh, show itself in our actions. So we are not looking, and that, that goes with our evangelism too, right? We're not looking just to build moral people around us. They need to know Christ. So our heart needs to change, therefore our morality will naturally improve. 
uh, as we are shaped and grown to be more like Christ. So even in our forgiveness, our goal is not just to simply, oh, I guess I can forgive. I guess I can do it, right? I'm supposed to, right? Our heart needs to want it or should want it. Jen Wilkin writes this. She says, if we focus our actions without addressing our hearts, we may end up merely as better behaved lovers of self. I'll repeat that. If we focus our actions without addressing our hearts, we may end up merely as better behaved lovers of self. So my goal this morning is not to um, make you forgive. Because what does Paul say about that? He could have commanded it to Philemon, but he doesn't do that, does he? He wants him to forgive out of the goodness, uh, out of the pureness of his heart. So as Paul gives us motives to forgive our brother or sister, the first thing he brings up is that you and I as followers of Christ have a great debt, don't we? We have a great debt. And we talked last time about that debt that you and I have to the Lord because of what he has accomplished in us through Christ in salvation, what he's allowed possible for us. Because we know that we are horribly sinful people, aren't we? And we could go on and on about probably the sin that we have. And I don't know if that's a good idea, but it is a good idea for us to know that on our own, we cannot do anything to please God. We can't do it. There's literally nothing you can do this morning to please God, to make him love you any more or less than he does. And we know from scripture that this is true as well. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, Paul writes, for at one time you were darkness. He doesn't even just say we were, we acted dark or anything like that. He actually calls us darkness. That's us. That's me. That's you. Before Christ, we were darkness because of our sin. But then he says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jeremiah 17, 9, very well known, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 uh, Solomon writes, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So we know the sin that we have. Uh, last week we sang a hymn to God be the glory by Fanny Crosby. I don't know if you remember that or not, but um, verse 2 always sticks out to me. And to be honest, growing up, when you, when you look at some of these verses of hymns, words are in weird order sometimes, and it's poetic, and I don't, I don't always understand that, but but as I get older, hopefully I can understand what these words actually mean. And in verse 2 of To God Be the Glory, Fanny Crosby writes this. She says, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. And she doesn't just say the offender, someone who has sinful, who believes. What does she say? She says the vilest offender. That's you and that's me, right? Or Paul called himself the chief of sinners, but so she writes, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. So we see, we see a darkness and light, of course, contrast in scripture with, with our sinfulness and with God's glory, his grace, his mercy that he extends to you and I. So we see that great debt that we owe. We know we owe a great debt uh, to God for what he has offered for us and accomplished through us. And Paul mentions that debt in the middle, but here he doesn't mention that debt. What we're going to look at at the end here, he doesn't mention that debt. He mentions a debt of a different kind. If you look in verse, uh, verse 17, Philemon verse 17, I know we ended off at 18 last time. We're going to backtrack a little bit, uh, but Paul writes this. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Then he says in 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Now, this was, this was a, um, a typical, a common practice. I write this with my own hand. So likely what this means is that this first part of the letter, Paul was dictating to somebody, okay, to write for him. 
Uh, so it'd be like if I was sitting and I was dictating to someone to write, and then at the end I had a postscript that I wanted to write, uh, I could write it with my own hand, right? That's what Paul is doing here. But verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, repay the debt. And then he says, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So what kind of debt, who is Paul talking about that Philemon owes? Paul's saying, you owe me, right? You owe me. Paul's already mentioned the great debt that we owe to Christ, but now he mentions the debt that we owe to others. The debt that Philemon owes to Paul because Paul was the one who introduced Philemon to Christ. There's an unpayable debt that Philemon now owes to him, and Philemon needs to recognize that and remember that when he's dealing with his slave uh, Onesimus, or his former slave. Remember, Paul's already offered, like we said, to repay anything that Onesimus is owed, but I, I believe what he's doing here, he's, he's offering, saying, hey, anything that Onesimus has taken from you, I'm good for, but remember what you owe me? So he's saying, yes, there's a debt, but he's canceling the debt out in the next verse or two later, isn't he? That's his plan, to simply cancel that debt. And what is the reason why? It's because Philemon owes Paul an even greater debt. Onesimus owes Philemon a material, a temporary debt. He ran away, he caused havoc, like we said, in Philemon's home. He stole from Philemon, uh, which are certainly those offenses are not being ignored. But Philemon owes Paul a spiritual debt, an eternal debt. If you know Christ this morning, I want you to think for a minute. And I want you to think of uh, the person or the people who introduced you to Christ. The ones who have had an effect on your coming to know Christ. Maybe that was your parent. Maybe that was your mom or dad. Your, a grandparent. Maybe a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a pastor. A close friend of the family. And likely, to be honest, it's not. this isn't just one person, is it? These are many people who have contributed to your spiritual health, your spiritual growth, not only initially in your acceptance and receiving of Christ, but even in the years, months, years, however long, uh, have passed afterwards. So the same principle applies to you and to me today. When someone offends me, when someone creates a debt that they owe me as Onesimus does, what do I need to remember? I need to remember that my debt is infinitely greater, not only to God, but to many, many other people as well. When someone incurs a debt against you, what is your, your first reaction? And, and Paul, what Paul's saying is that our first reaction needs to be an acknowledgement of the debt that we owe to others. Each of us owes debts to those who have led us to Christ, who have taught us God's word, those who have encouraged us in our walks with him. We're indebted to those who've supported us, disciplined us, uh, those who have held us spiritually accountable, those who have discipled us. So Paul's point is that there is so much that Philemon is indebted for spiritually, and therefore he's, he needs to be able to forgive the temporal material debt that Onesimus owes to him. Paul then asks uh, Philemon to forgive Onesimus so that it will benefit him the Lord. And I want you to look at verse 20. We just read it, but uh, we'll read it again. He says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now that word benefit, you remember someone, someone, um, I don't normally do this. Someone, someone yell out to me if you remember what Onesimus is, what his name means. Thank you, Eric. Useful, right? Onesimus' name means useful. 
Now, this word benefit, that is simply the verb of that same word, okay? So Paul, Paul is using, again, wordplay here because he is telling uh, Philemon to be useful to Paul now, right? To benefit Paul. So he's simply saying, uh, let's see here. He's simply saying, yes, brother, I want some usefulness from you, okay? I want some usefulness from you. Now, remember, Onesimus was given the name useful as a slave, so that would encourage him to actually be useful, right? So likely, if someone gives you a name, they are trying to get you to do something. If, if husbands, if your wife says you are now named mow the lawn, she's trying to give you a hint on what you're supposed to do, right? So that verb benefit actually comes from the Greek word that is the same as Onesimus. Now, how would the act of forgiveness from one brother to another affect Paul or us? Because Paul's not directly involved, is he? Paul didn't offend someone. Paul didn't get offended in this specific situation. But he's asking Onesimus to benefit him. But we know that Paul would receive joy because of the example of love and obedience of Philemon and his act of forgiveness towards Onesimus. You don't need to turn there, but back a few, a few pages probably in your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul asked the Philippians to do the same thing for him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 2, and actually I'll start at verse 1, very well-known passage speaking about Christ's humility. Uh, but Philippians 2 verse 1, Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then in verse 2 he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Okay, so he's telling the Philippians in this example, do something spiritual to benefit, yes, yourselves, but he's saying it's going to complete my joy as well. It's going to give me joy too. So regardless of what you and I do that, yes, will benefit us, that is obedient to the Lord, to his commands, regardless of what that is, there is joy that is experienced for the rest of us, so to speak, right? Joy that we experience because we are part uh, of the body of Christ. So Onesimus and Philemon would bring joy to Paul as well as the rest of the Colossian church, uh, keeping unity among them. Everyone would be spiritually blessed. The testimony of the church would be uplifted in their community, uh, in those who are unsaved around them. Because Satan loves an unforgiving church, doesn't he? Satan loves a church full of unforgiving people. And that's because, I think you go back to Onesimus, even just his name, that's because then you and I are less useful for ministry, right? We're not as useful for ministry when we have grudges that we are holding or anything sinful in our life that we are hanging on to, not just forgiveness, of course. So Philemon needs to realize, and I, I think he does, we have no reason to think that he doesn't realize that this act of forgiveness has much greater things at stake than simply his relationship with Onesimus, but there are waves uh, that will go out from this act of forgiveness. We've talked over and over again the purpose of Paul's letter to Philemon, uh, simply giving Philemon why we must forgive our brother or sister when we are wronged. Now, he's never excused what Onesimus did to Philemon, but he's making it clear that even though the offense was great, there are much better reasons to forgive rather than not to forgive. So when I'm legitimately offended by someone, uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm very good at making up a list of reasons as to why 
uh, they need to have that grudge held against them, right? When someone does something to me that offends me, I can quickly come up with a, a lot of good reasons why I should not forgive them. And I trust that I'm not alone. But Paul, and more importantly, God makes it clear that there are worse ramifications to unforgiveness amongst the body of Christ and greater advantages to forgiveness as well. So Paul, Paul wants us to realize that the more godly choice is the choice that will be a blessing to the fellowship of believers as well to ourselves. And, and that choice, of course, is forgiveness always. We've talked at length about the, the need for fellowship among believers, and forgiveness allows that fellowship to be unbroken and to continue. Uh, we'll continue on. Look at verse 21 in Philemon. Paul writes, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love Paul. How do you argue with that? It's, it's pretty hard to come up with an argument, right? Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing you'll do even more than I say. Okay, sure. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? And then verse 22, at the same time, Paul says, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. You think maybe of Philemon thinking, yeah, I, got this, I got this situation that you're talking about, Paul. Everything's going on here. And then you say at the end to prepare a room because you're coming. We got, we got things we're dealing with here, Paul. And, and Paul, Paul's talking, of course, that he's assuming that Philemon will forgive. And I, I assume that he did. Uh, Paul, he doesn't feel the need to go into, you know, the, the great... Uh, theology we could say of forgiveness itself right he does he doesn't feel a great need you think of the book of philemon it's very short isn't it he doesn't feel the great need to go on and on about the theology of forgiveness to philemon i think that's because philemon already knew it uh, andy andy read this morning in in our scripture reading matthew chapter 18 uh, and part of that the beginning part is christ laying out sort of what um, our church discipline so to speak is to look like when we have a brother or a sister who is in, unforgive, or in, in sin and needs forgiveness, right? And Christ lays out what that blueprint is for us in order to uh, acknowledge and in order to deal with that sin. But right at the end there, uh, it says, Peter came up to him, came up to Christ, and asked, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, if you know the culture, the, the Jews at that point, most think that probably three times was sort of the idea that I can forgive my brother or my sister who has wronged me up to three times. The fourth time, that's it. Sorry, you've had your three chances. So when, Peter, when Peter's asking Christ this question, he's thinking he's going way above and beyond, right? I'm at seven times? Christ is going to be blown away by my righteousness. Man, he's, he's really going to think I'm something, isn't he? But Christ says, of course, no, not just seven times. He says, I don't say to seven times, but 77 times. Your Bible might even say seven, 70 times seven, okay? And Christ's point is in that now we have a cap that on, on okay, times 78, that's it. You're done, right? Or 491, if you knew the quick math of 70 times seven, 491. After that 490, we're good. 491, tough luck, right? You've reached your limit. That's not Christ's point. Of course, his point is that we are abundantly more than what we could think or even imagine. And his reasoning, obviously, is because of God. God has forgiven uh, the, the infinite amount of times that we have sinned. So this is an example of the forgiveness that we enjoy. And Paul doesn't even need to feel like he needs to mention that to Philemon. Because Philemon knows it. He knows the principle. He knows many other principles, of course, about forgiveness, too. 
So we know that our forgiveness of a brother or sister has greater implications than simply between the two of us. So when I hold a grudge against my brother or sister, my walk with Christ is hindered, right? When I hold a grudge against my brother or sister, my walk with Christ is hindered. It can be seen in the fact that I'm likely bitter, I'm likely angry, and we can hide that for a little bit, can't we? Therefore, though I'm not nearly as useful to the Father in ministry to those around me, therefore my inability or my unwillingness to forgive someone here at Harrow Baptist, for example, has a negative effect on all of us here at Harrow Baptist, doesn't it? Your inability or your unwillingness to forgive someone here has a negative effect on us here. Now, I'm not saying I know of plenty of problems, and don't, don't think there, Marty knows exactly what's going on. I don't, I'm not saying I know there's a, there's a ton of problems, and, and unforgiveness is running rampant around us this morning. That's not my point. But this is the warning that Paul gives to Philemon and that God gives to us. I was trying to think of, a, of an, an analogy and, um, for how we could work together on this. I'm by no means a, a football star. Um, I think I'm probably too big to play football. I think that's my problem. <laughs> too strong, too coordinated. You think of a football team though, right? A football team has one goal. Just like hockey, just like baseball, you've got a goal and that's to win, right? You've got a goal to win. That is our purpose as a football team. So think of us as a football team this morning, okay? Because we've got one purpose, and that is to win the game, that is to score as many points as we can to outscore our opponent. Now that's accomplished by gaining yards, and then therefore by gaining points, field goals, touchdowns, whatever the case is. Now on a football team, I will admit, when I was younger and growing up, and maybe, maybe this is you as well, when, when the ball snapped, it's chaos, right? People are running everywhere, knocking guys down, and that's just the way it is. And when I was growing up, I used to think that the quarterback would snap the ball, all right, guys, run where you want to run. Like, that's how my dad played with us. He'd pretty much just say, run where you want to run, and, and he'd try and, you know, hit us with a pass. And I used to think that's what it was. But, of course, they've all got routes that they're running, and they've all got assignments, blocking assignments, things like that. You've got linemen, okay? You've got linemen, and those are the big guys on the offensive line, and, and they've got a couple of jobs, but probably their biggest job is to protect the quarterback, right? Protect the quarterback when he snaps the ball that no one can get to my quarterback because he wants to find a receiver to get that ball to. Another, another job that a lineman will have is to, to block, to block for a running back or a you know, tailback, fullback, whatever the case is, to block. So they, they purposefully, when the ball snapped, they will turn away, turn a certain way so that they open up holes for that running back to run through. That's their job. You've got receivers, and not only receivers who are going to catch the ball, of course, they're trying to get open, but now if I'm a receiver and my teammate receiver catches the ball he starts running now what's my job my job's to block for him right allow him to get as many yards as he can so you've got such a team effort and that's of course that's not just football that's with any sport uh, but anything that you are trying to accomplish if I'm a lineman and I've got a argument with my quarterback and man there's nothing I would like better for my quarterback just to get hit and to get hit hard right if I'm holding a grudge against my quarterback, what am I likely to do? I'm likely to let up a little bit, maybe not block, maybe not run as hard as I would. If I'm a receiver and, and I'm just mad because my, the other, there's another receiver who's catching a lot more balls than I am, he catches that ball, I might just be a little, little less likely to block for him, right? So I've got a grudge against someone, but what does that affect? It affects the whole team, doesn't it? 
You've got people doing different jobs, different responsibilities, and everything is affected because I've got a problem with someone else on my team. And like I said, that's not just sports. That could be at school or at work. If you're given a group assignment, something to do, and you look across that group and there's someone there who you just cannot stand, you've got a problem with them uh, for whatever reason, right? Maybe they belittled something that you did or they've gossiped about you, something at work your ability is going to be hindered in that group setting to accomplish the purpose that you have. So we as God's people, it's like that in ministry too, we as God's people, when when I hold a grudge against someone, I hang on to that, my ability and therefore our ability in ministry is going to be hindered. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but it's going to be hindered nonetheless. In ministry, we are working together to accomplish the Great Commission, aren't we? That is our goal, to go and to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our purpose as a church, Uh, not simply to evangelize, to save them, to bring them to Christ, although that, of course, is very important, but also Christ says to disciple them, to make disciples, to, to grow them in Christ. That's our purpose. If I'm serving beside someone that I have anger towards, I'm not as useful for ministry. So all these things affect our usefulness to God. Remember, our onesimus to God, so to speak, our usefulness to him. Likely when I have a problem with someone, I have unforgiveness in my heart. The focus is typically on two people, isn't it? My focus is on, maybe first of all, them, what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. So my focus is on them. How on earth could they do that to me? I'm a great guy. I'm a really nice guy. What were they thinking? So the focus is on them, but then who else is the focus on? It's focused on me, right? Look what they did to me. How on earth could they gossip about me? How on earth could they belittle something that I felt was very important? Whatever the case is. So my situation of unforgiveness occurs because someone wanted to hurt me in some way, therefore I'm holding a grudge, and I am completely unwilling to let it go. So just in all of that, I can get trapped in the mindset that my unwillingness to forgive has no effect on anyone around me. It doesn't affect anyone around me, but Paul is clearly saying that um, something different, of course, that there's a blessing that's received when we're able to joyfully forgive. From what Paul's written throughout this letter, there's certainly aspects about forgiveness in the sense that there's a process that must take place. There's a process for me as the one forgiving. There's a process for the one who is seeking forgiveness. So Paul wants us to know that forgiveness is not just about you. Forgiveness is not just about me, but there are wider implications. And Paul even asks him to pray that he'd be released so that he could possibly come to them. What's Paul doing when he says that, pray that I will be released so I can come stay with you? Have, have lodging ready. He's creating accountability for Philemon, isn't he? Because Philemon, a friend of Paul, who had great respect for Paul, cannot in good conscience pray for Paul's release to come and visit him if his goal is not to forgive and treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ, right? So if, 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 if Philemon's sitting there thinking, nope, sorry Onesimus, that's it. Then Paul cannot, in good conscience, or sorry, then Philemon cannot, in good conscience, forgive, or sorry, pray for Paul's release, can he? Because then Paul's coming, Paul's going to see how I'm treating him. So Paul is creating a natural accountability here. Uh, he's 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 backing Philemon into a corner, so to speak, isn't he? 
giving him that accountability that he, that he needs, that you and I need as well. And this is accountability, of course, that Philemon wants. But it, no doubt this would have all made sense to Philemon, and I believe he gladly forgave Onesimus. There's, there's nothing in Scripture that we read that this was a disaster, and Philemon just said, no. I've got a niece, and, and she was asked not too long ago to do something, and I, to be honest, I don't remember what it was. She's about two years old, and her mom asked her to do something, and she, and she just said, no. Now, you, then you have to turn, because you're, you're, it's, it's hard not to laugh at that point, isn't it? Right? But we don't get the idea that Philemon is saying no to this command from Paul. Paul closes his letter in a very similar fashion to any of his other letters uh, with greetings uh, from people to the church. Look in verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now those five guys, those five men, are also mentioned in the book of Colossians, which makes sense, right? This is the church at Colossae. So it makes sense that they would be greeting this body of believers. Now, we're not going to go through these five guys and, and, and dissect who they are and how they're related to Paul, to Onesimus, to Philemon. We could probably take a sermon and do one on each of these guys. Uh, but we're not going to do that because I don't think that's Paul's purpose. I think Paul has a very simple purpose for giving five men uh, that greet Philemon and the church. And that's also to hold Philemon accountable. That here are five men that you respect, uh, that you know, um, that have, have contributed to your spiritual life in some way, and they're greeting you. Therefore, what do they likely know about? They likely know about the situation, right? So it'd be as if, if you have something going on, and, and Paul writes you a letter and says, all right, and here's greetings from these five people who have all built, who have all worked together to grow you spiritually. I feel like that's going to encourage you all the more, um, to do what Paul is asking you to do, what God is commanding you to do. So by sending greetings from these five men known to Philemon, he now has accountability from all of them, has the ability not only for accountability, but to set a good example for these men, right? What an encouragement that would be to these guys who have, who have built into to Philemon, at least in some way, and they see this, this man forgive this now brother in Christ would be a huge encouragement for them. Matthew Henry, in his commentary of Philemon, he gives... 14 arguments, 14 arguments as to why we are to forgive. Paul's 14 arguments. We're not going to th go through all 14 of those arguments this morning. But one stood out to me, and it's his 13th argument, actually. And it says this, Matthew Henry writes, Christians should do the things that may rejoice the hearts of one another. Christians should do the things that may rejoice the hearts of one another. In other words, I should do the things that I know will bring you joy, will bring you benefit. And then he goes on to say, from the world, they expect trouble. And where may they look for comfort and joy but in one another? Right? We have so much trouble when we go out these doors, go into our world. Why would we not want to benefit each other in whatever way that we can? And then um, Matthew Henry says, it is not any selfish respect that I am actuated by, but what is pleasing to Christ. So he's saying he's being driven by what is pleasing to Christ. Uh, which is, of course, is our joy and our benefit from each other. So Paul wants us to realize the power of forgiveness, not only for two people who are directly involved, but also for the rest of the church body in Christ. We are responsible and accountable to each other for our willingness and desire to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So this letter, I was speaking to someone this week, actually. They were asking me uh, how my preparation was going, and I said, good. Uh, and, it, you know, Paul's simply moving along with his same arguments and purposes that he's been doing from the start. And, and something interesting they said, they said, what I love about Philemon is a, this is a well-constructed letter, right? A well-constructed argument as to why forgiveness is necessary. And I believe that whenever, whenever I read scripture as much as I can, and I know I can't always do this uh, very well, but as much as I can, I try and put myself in the shoes of different people in the event that's taking place, right? Different people that's going on. So I try and put myself, if I'm sitting in the congregation, this letter comes in with Onesimus, what would I be thinking? If I'm Onesimus himself, what would I be thinking? If, I, if I'm Philemon, what would I be thinking through all of this? Forgiveness is a, a humbling experience, isn't it? You think of the people involved. If I'm the one doing the forgiving, it's a humbling experience because I need to humble myself. Someone's offended me, and because of Christ, I am able to, to forgive that debt. If I'm the one watching on the outside, if I'm watching, if I'm not directly involved, it's a humbling experience because I know that I am in that same place so many times. And if I'm the one being forgiven, of course it's a humbling experience. Think of Onesimus when Onesimus is sitting there, or standing there probably listening to this letter. What a humbling experience it is to have the Apostle Paul fighting for you, so to speak, saying why your master should forgive you something that really in human terms he shouldn't forgive you for. He should hold you accountable for, or, or hold you um, accountable for the things that you have done to him. That's not to say we don't hold each other accountable for our, our mishaps or our sin to each other. But as believers, we need to be open and ready and excited to forgive those around us. So this letter is an example to us even today how we are to forgive, as well as the great benefits from the church, and of course a great picture of what Christ does for us through the cross, uh, through repentance, and through salvation that he offers to us despite nothing that we have done. Let's pray, and then we will close with a song this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, we know that you are far wiser than we will ever hope to be, and we praise you for that. Thank you that you are a God who is beyond anything that we can imagine, beyond anything that we can fathom. Lord, if you were, if you were a God that we could understand, you wouldn't be much of a God to worship. So we thank you that there are things that we will never understand about you. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the ability you give us to be your children, to be your people. Lord, we thank you for this example, Lord, a few thousand years ago of, of Philemon and of Onesimus, of two brothers in Christ, where they have this transaction of forgiveness, Father. What a picture that is, not only of our, uh, our walk with Christ, but, Lord, also a picture of how we are to treat each other. Lord, thank you that you give us difficulties to walk through, to grow us, and to shape us. Uh, we pray that we would be a humble people, Lord, that we would be a willing people, and, Lord, that you would use us all for your kingdom and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.